So we are in a series on Peter's little message that he gave in the book of 2 Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. And what we've been doing is looking at all the virtues that he encourages us as Christians to develop in our lives. So uh, we, uh, we started by emphasizing the way Peter says you need to make every effort to put these into place in your life. They don't just happen by default. We don't just become the sort of people without working at it. We're to make every effort. And then at the end, in case you didn't mess it at the beginning, he repeats himself and says, so make every effort to do this. And then we've been looking at just the list of things. We've looked at uh, uh, self-control. We've, this morning, we're looking at endurance. We've looked at knowledge. Uh, we're looking at the things that grow out of our faith and lead us towards love. So this morning's endurance. So I thought about all the fun things I could have you do to see how, who is the most, the, yeah, people are shaking their heads at me. I, I'm not going to make you do anything this morning. Last week I taught self-control by giving you all 10 bits, which kind of backfired because, uh, yeah, well, so be it. I want to begin this morning uh, a little different by sharing with you a few paragraphs from this book by Eugene Peterson. It's called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. He wrote it in 1980. Just keep that in mind when he's talking about our society. He wrote this in 1980, 40 years ago, and consider how our life has changed or whether it's more true or not today. And it's kind of funny because he took that phrase, a long obedience in the same direction, from the philosopher uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, who, uh, if you know, was the person who gleefully said, God is dead and we have killed him. So I think it's beautifully ironic that he takes Nietzsche's words and, and shows us how we can live as Christians despite it. So, here we go. I think, I think you might find this helpful. One aspect of the world that I have been able to identify as harmful to the Christian life is the assumption that anything worthwhile can be acquired at once. We assume that if something can be done at all, it can be done quickly and efficiently. Our attention spans have been conditioned to 30-second commercials. Our sense of reality has been flattened by abridgments. Do you think that's as true today as it was 40 years ago? Our attention spans are shrinking. It is not difficult in such a world to get a person interested in the message of the gospel, but it's terribly difficult to sustain the interest. Millions of people in our culture make decisions for Christ, but there is a dreadful attrition rate. Many claim to have been born again but the evidence for mature Christian discipleship is slim. In our kind of culture, anything, even news about God, can be sold if it's packaged freshly. But when it loses its novelty, it goes into the garbage heap. There's a great market for religious experience in our world. There's little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue and little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians would call holiness. Religion in our time has been captured by the tourist mindset. Religion is understood as a visit to an attractive site to be made when we have adequate leisure. For some, it's a weekly jaunt to church. For others, occasional visits to special services. Some, with a bent for religious entertainment and sacred diversion, 
plan their lives around special retreats and rallies and conferences. We go to see a new personality, to hear a new truth, to get a new experience, and to somehow expand our otherwise humdrum lives. The religious life is defined as the latest and the newest, Zen, faith healing, human potential, parapsychology, successful living, choreography and the chancel. I think that was something from the 80s. I don't even know what that means. Armageddon, we'll try anything until something else comes along. I don't know what it's been like for pastors in other cultures in previous centuries, but I'm quite sure that for a pastor in Western culture, at the dawn of the 21st century, or 20 years into it, the aspect of world that makes the work of leading Christians in the way of faith most difficult is today's passion for the immediate and the casual. Everyone's in a hurry. True today still. Everyone's in a hurry. The persons whom I lead in worship, among whom I counsel, visit, pray, preach, and teach, watch shortcuts. They want me to help them fill out the form that will give them instant, eternal credit. They're impatient for results. They've adopted the lifestyle of a tourist and only want the high points. But a pastor's not a tour guide. I have no interest in telling religious stories around dubiously identified sacred sites. The Christian life cannot mature under these conditions. Here's the last paragraph that I'm going to read. Friedrich Nietzsche, who saw this area of spiritual truth at least with great clarity, wrote, The essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be a long obedience in the same direction, and thereby results, and has always resulted in the long run, in something which has made life worth living. It is this long obedience in the same direction. The mood of the world does so much to discourage. That phrase has always stuck with me, a long obedience in the same direction. And I would suggest that today, even more so than 40 years ago when he wrote that, we are captivated by shortcuts. We want the, the, the quick solution that will get us there. And when it comes to the Christian life, it's a long obedience. I mean, we're on that road now. And it's going to go until the day we die. So it's a long time. It's a commitment. Committing to Jesus is just as long as committing to a spouse. It runs your whole life. It's a long obedience in the same direction. And one of the virtues that is so critical to growing and thriving as a Christian as we develop this in our lives is the discipline, is the virtue of endurance. That's what we're going to reflect on today. Let me read the text for you. I didn't have time to put it on the screen, but there was nothing too important in my PowerPoint this week anyways. For this reason, Paul said, or Peter says, you must make every effort, make every effort to support your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with mutual affection, and mutual affection with love. For if these things are yours and are increasing among you, they keep you from being idle and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Anyone who lacks these things is short-sighted and blind and forgetful of the cleansing of past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make all the more effort to confirm your call and election. In order to for us to leave here with some idea on how to make every effort 
to develop endurance, we first of all got to figure out what endurance means. And it gets tricky when we read our Bibles because so many of us read different translations. And translation isn't like a one-to-one -one science. We, we like to think that a word means one thing, but that, that's really not true at all. Words mean a whole range of things. So if one English word means all of this, and the Bible is translated from the Greek language, and one Greek word means all of this, then you're never going to find one English word to convey all of that range. And that's why if you're looking at different Bible translations, and someone asked me that this week, um, in case you're curious, I tend to preach from the New Revised Standard Version, but honestly, any modern English translation of the Bible is, is worth reading. The, the quality is, is shot up recently. But I tend to read the New Revised Standard Version, the New Living's Good, but in all these versions, they use different words to describe endurance because it's a big word. The New Revised uses endurance, but the NIV, I know a lot of you read the New International Version, it uses the word perseverance. Can you see how endurance and perseverance overlap? The King James Version uses the word patience, which is another good word to translate this. Now we're starting to see the range, right? Endurance, perseverance, patience. The New Living, um, I, I don't think they could decide, so they went with patient endurance. <laughs> so they put them together. But all these words, and another Greek dictionary that I was reading this week used the word steadfastness, which is a little bit old-fashioned, but it kind of gives you the sense of steadfast, standing Fast, keeping your steadfast. So all these words, endurance, perseverance, patience, steadfastness, patient endurance, that is kind of the, the cloud, the idea that we're getting at today, what we need to develop in our life. It's not just endurance and the fact that y'all need to, y'all, oh man, I turned southern again, sorry. <laughs> it's not just the fact that we all need to be able to do something for a long time. It's a little more specific. It's a little more narrowed down than that. And I don't always do this, and, but I thought in this case it might be interesting. Um, I mean, I kind of, in fact, I kind of get embarrassed when people do this, but the Greek word for endurance um, is actually two words put together. And I think it's worth sharing with you because I think it'll, it'll help you to understand what we're talking about. The, one, it, the word is hypermeno. And a few years back, I spoke on the word meno. Meno means to abide or to remain. Or the way I described it in my message was to stay put, to stick there, to not move. In John chapter 15, Jesus says, Jesus uses this word a lot. He says, abide, that's the word, meno, abide in me as I abide in you. Just as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, those who abide in me. And I and them bear much fruit because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me, in my words, abide I'm emphasizing it so you get the point. In you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Abiding means to stay put, to not move. Jesus calls us to abide or to remain or to stay or to stick with him and not move. So the word meno means to stay, to stay put. And hypo means under. 
You're, you're, you know the word hypodermic? It, under the skin, right? A hypodermic needle is a needle that goes under the hypodermic. Hypothermia, if you're under temperature, if you're under the temperature you should be, if you're too low. Yeah, that's a hypodermic. So hypermetal, I'm really sorry about the grammar lesson. I'm gonna make a practical scene, but some of you are enjoying this, I think. I hope. Lord have mercy. Hypermetal means to stay put behind something. It was originally a military term. Soldiers were called to be hypermetal. Hypermetal. They were called to stand put, to stand fast, to be steadfast behind their military commander and not move. And this is at the root, the core of that word endurance, of steadfastness, of patience. It's to stand firm and fast and almost stubborn. I like the word stubborn. In fact, here's the best way I came up with describing what this word means. Endurance is a stubborn resistance in the face of evil and suffering. It's a stubborn resistance in the face of evil and suffering. Sometimes it's good to be stubborn. I mean, stubborn can be irritating too. All the parents in the house said no. Um, <laughs> but you would rather your children have a stubborn streak than be wishy-washy and everything, right? I'll give you an example of stubbornness, and I'm using this in a positive way. When we moved into town um, a few years back, we, had, we purchased a house, and Doug Hyde, a uh, friend, was really great in finding this great house for us, and, and uh, as house sales go, they, they uh, had an asking price for the house, and we thought, you know, we'll, we'll do the right, we'll do the normal thing, and well, we didn't like lowball them anything, but we'll, we'll go in a few thousand dollars under the asking price and just because that's how it works right so we gave we signed our offer and faxed it over to them and they sent it back at the same price that they asked for in the first place we're like oh all right so we came up a little bit and sent them another one and they i think they came down like 500 bucks or something as if to say yeah no we're content here and it went back a few times and eventually we thought you know what they're right, that's a good price for the house, we're gonna take it anyways, and we came up to their price. Because they were stubborn in a good sense. They, they stood fast. They didn't allow themselves to get pushed by what we were doing. And this is what it means to develop endurance as a Christian. It means to develop a stubborn resistance in the face of all the evil and all the suffering that can come our way. I have an example of a person who I think makes this quality really clear. His name was Ignatius. He, uh, he was born about the time that Jesus died. In fact, some people think that Ignatius was uh, one of the children that Jesus held up onto his knee and said, you know, let them come to me and don't forbid them, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Ignatius was, uh, was a disciple of John, the apostle. So this is, this, is, this is an example of someone really early, close to the start of the faith. And he wrote a bunch of letters, and he wrote a letter to the Romans that I wanted to share just a little bit with you. I'm only going to share a few paragraphs, but, uh, and it's a little bit old-fashioned, the way they write it. But I think when you realize what's happening here, it'll be worth it. This is Ignatius, near the end of his life. His nickname was the God-bearer, or the fire-bearer. This is him near the end of his life having 
done his best to lead the churches in Antioch, um, going to Rome, being sent to Rome, and here's what he writes ahead to the Christians at Rome. He says, For as much as I have gained my prayer to God to see your godly faces, so that I have obtained more than I asked, for in bondage to Christ Jesus, I hope to greet you, if it will be his will that I be found worthy to the end. Did you catch that? He's coming to them in bondage. He's coming in chains. If I be found worthy to the end. For the beginning has been well ordered. If I may obtain grace to come unhithered to my lot. For I am afraid of your love. <laughs> Sounds like a modern pop song. I'm afraid of your love. <laughs> this is Ignatius telling the Roman church, as he's coming to them in chains by the Romans, I am afraid of your love, lest even that do me wrong. For it is easy for you to do what you will, but it's difficult for me to attain to God if you do not spare me. For I would not have you be men-pleasers, but God-pleasers, even as you indeed please him. For neither shall I ever have such an opportunity of attaining to God, nor can you, if you but be silent, have any better deed ascribed to you. Ignatius is saying the best thing you can do is to just zip it. For if you are silent concerning me, I am a word of God. But if you love my flesh, my flesh and blood, I'm, I'm just a cry. Grant me nothing more that I be poured out to God while the altar is still ready. Then I'll skip over to part four. I am writing to all the churches, and I give injunctions to everyone that I am dying willingly for God's sake if you do not hinder it. I beseech you, don't be an unseasonable kindness to me. Suffer me to be eaten by the beasts through whom I can obtain God. I am God's wheat. I am ground by the teeth of wild beasts, and I may be found pure bread of Christ. Rather, entice the wild beasts, that they may become my tomb. I don't know if you caught all that. Ignatius was a stubborn man. He had developed endurance in the biblical sense of the word at this time of his life. He is about to be martyred for the faith. And I don't know what you would do if you were in his shoes. I would probably be saying, okay, how are you going to plan to rescue me? And maybe I'll go hide out in, I don't know, in, in, the, in the Orient or something. How am I going to get out of this situation? But Ignatius, as he's writing, as he's being taken by the Romans to Rome to be thrown to the wild beasts, he's writing to all the churches that he's, that he's, that he's cared for over the years and saying, don't rescue me. Don't do this. He's stubborn. He's resistant. In the face of evil, he's saying, I want to be a cry to God. I'm not saying that that should be our attitude in life, that we should seek to give up our lives in that sense. We are fortunate and blessed to live in a country where Christians are not thrown to wild animals. But I'm saying that quality of endurance, that stubbornness in the face of evil, that standing, remaining, staying put, and not being swayed is something that should inspire us as Christians. That's what it means to have endurance. And endurance is spoken of all throughout the Bible. It's in, when 
the last few weeks I've been sharing with you about uh, self-control and knowledge, and I've been explaining that those qualities are more Greek qualities. They're not very often in the Bible. Well, endurance is in the Bible. It's in there time and time again. It's regularly in there. And I just thought I'd point out some of the things that endurance is good for. Endurance is a pathway to hope. Paul, to the Romans, speaks about endurance being a pathway to hope. He says this, We boast in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. See this, the, the transition there. Suffering leads to endurance, leads to character, leads to hope. I don't have to explain to you the difficulty of suffering in the world. Um, as a pastor, I, my life often intersects with your lives precisely at the point where we are under the most pain and stress, where there's difficulty. We wrestle with with suffering and sickness and death, with unjust treatment at work, with betrayal, with all this nastiness that seems to come to the surface time and time again. We experience suffering. It's, it's, it's part of living in this world. But for Christians, we have an answer to suffering. Paul tells us that suffering produces endurance. Endurance is like a muscle. In order to get stronger muscles, I hear, <laughs> you have to exercise them. I should have Gene here, so I've got to be given this, so you should see his routines. In order to uh, gain muscle, you have to exercise them. When you exercise them, it breaks them down a little bit, and your body rebuilds them stronger, right? That's how it works. <laughs> I don't know how we started talking about this week, but we started talking about push-ups. And Chase is like, I can do 20. So then I'm like, yeah, I can do 22. Well, like 20 as well. I couldn't do 22. I got to 20, and the 20th one was like... And I did it, and I felt like the king of the world until the next day. And then the day after that was even worse. If you went, Doink! I would be wincing in pain. Because it went... I never do push-ups or exercise like that. And when you break a muscle down or rebuild stronger, well, that's what suffering does for our endurance. Endurance isn't a pleasant quality to gain, but when we stand firm in the face of suffering, even though it hurts, even though it tears us down, it produces what Paul calls character in our life. And that character ends in hope. Our character enables us to look beyond the suffering around us and to see the joy, to see where God is in action and to know in faith that God is bringing all things together for good. He hasn't abandoned our world, but he's working in it. Endurance leads to hope. Endurance is a quality of love. Maybe this rings a bell. Love is patient. Love is kind. Have you been to a wedding? Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist in its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures, endures all things. Remember I said with these ancient lists, the first position and the last position of the list are the, are the most important? 
The last thing he says about love in that sentence is it endures. And that's not the sort of love you see in Hall oh, I shouldn't pick on Hallmark movies. It's not the sort of love you typically see in pop songs and Hallmark movies, right? What is, the, what is the most important quality of love? Well, you know what? It's sticking it out. It's endurance. It's not romantic, but it's the truth. I was thinking about our wedding vows, the classic wedding vows. When Don and I were married, we used the, cla like the, the classic wedding vows. We just switched the till death do us part to as long as we both shall live because we didn't like the morbidity of that last line. <laughs> But listen to this, these are the vows. I said, I, Steve, take thee, I probably said you, Donna, to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold, for this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, as long as we both shall live. That wedding vows are all about endurance. That's the point of them. Listen to that. It's, it's kind of a dark thing. I mean, you're, it's supposed to be a fairy tale, joyful, happy day, butterflies and rainbows and all this stuff. And, and then we say vows that talk about for worse, for poor, in sickness. We're going to stick it out. Because the people who are writing those ancient vows knew something about love that we don't emphasize. It takes endurance. It takes a stubbornness. It takes a, I'm going to stand here regardless, because I'm staying put in this. Endurance is so crucial for Christians. It's a pathway to hope. It's quality of love, and it's a character of Christian leaders. When Paul was writing to Timothy near the end of his life, Timothy was his uh, young kind of uh, person he had been raising up, training up to take his place as he left and in leading some of the churches. He said this, As for you, man of God, Shun all of this. And he was talking about the love of money. Don't get distracted by money. But pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. When you think about Christian leaders, I think this is especially appropriate now because um, we are uh, nominating and electing board members in a couple of weeks. Board members, you who have been board members, Endurance is a key quality of Christian leadership. <laughs> the ability to endure, to stay put, to resist, to do this no matter what. I mean, you expect some of these things. You expect that Christian leaders should be righteous. And by that, it means being just and doing the right thing in the right times. You expect them to be godly. We'll talk about that quality next week. We expect faith and love because there's nothing more Christian than faith and love. And even gentleness, yeah, to, you need to be able to be gentle to be a Christian leader, but endurance, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's what it comes down to. Are you able to stick it out? Are you able to stand stubborn in the face? I'm not saying the church is all evil and suffering, but are you able to stand firm in the face of everything that comes our way? And Paul demonstrated this in his own life. Get this, Paul was imprisoned, beaten, threatened with death. He was whipped five times. I love that he kept track. <laughs> I might lose count. After five, it's like, yeah, whatever. But whipped five times, beaten with rods three times. It's as if it's a tally. Maybe I might get the five on the rods, who knows. Stoned, not, not the stone stone, but the 
had stone thrown at him, stone. Sorry, bad joke. Shipwrecked, lost at sea, regularly running from enemies, threatened by bandits, attacked by fellow Jews, attacked by Gentiles, which reminds me of that old expression, um, I'll Christianize it, darned if you do, darned if you don't, right? He was attacked by both sides. He, um, he was attacked by false believers. He's gone sleepless. He's been hungry. He's been cold and not have enough clothes to, to, to protect himself from the elements. He's been under all the pressure and weight of planting all these churches and seeing all the, the Christianity spread through the ancient world. And so what does he say? You've observed, Timothy. You've observed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance and my persecutions, because Paul knew that to be a Christian leader, one of the most important things that he could have was that quality that just had him stay put and stand firm and resist all of the chaos around him. Endurance is a, is a very common virtue in the Greek world, in the Christian world, and in the ancient Jewish world. I think our ancient Jewish spiritual uh, ancestors can teach us a lot about this because when you think about their life, right, what they've had to endure, both in biblical times and in modern history, the Jewish people are an example of steadfastness, of endurance. And they wrote a song that I think encapsulates this in a nutshell. And it's this song that I'm going to read to you and then I'll invite the band back up after and um, we'll sing Waymaker one more time. Psalm 13, it's a good one to memorize. Listen to how endurance is explained in Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear this pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? How long will my enemy rejoice over me? Consider me an answer already. O oh Lord my God, give light to my eyes or I will, I'm going to die here. And then my enemy will say, I've prevailed. My foes will rejoice because I have shaken. But, and then you have that awesome word, that awesome. But, and this is where the put your feet down, steadfast, endurance, stand up in front of it all. Despite all this, despite having enemies, despite feeling like God isn't answering me, he says, but I've trusted in your steadfast love, my heart will rejoice in your salvation, and I will sing to the Lord. <clears throat> Even though it doesn't seem like you're answering me right now, I am going to sing to the Lord because you have dealt bountifully with me. That's endurance. That's stick-to-itiveness. That's stubbornness. A stubborn resistance in the face of suffering and evil. But I will trust. Invite the band to come back as we pray. Our Father in heaven, I pray that you'll open our eyes to see where this quality of endurance is needed in our life and where, uh, where it may be lacking. Lord, I don't know what we're all facing. But I pray regardless of what we're facing, you will give us a stubbornness to stand fast, to stand 
like a soldier would stand behind his commander, Lord, give us the stubbornness to stand firm behind you, our Lord. And not become weary in well-doing or weary in this Christian life. But may that steadfastness produce the character in our, character in our life that will, that will help others to recognize that there's something about this Christianity. Holy Spirit, even now I pray that you would speak to our hearts and reveal to us how in this upcoming week we can make every effort to develop endurance in our lives. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.